Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. On the brink. As Russian troops close in around Ukraine, the White House says Americans need to get out now. We're in a window when an invasion could begin at any time. Can war still be averted? I'll ask National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan next. And bowing out with his party still in thrall to former President Trump, a key Republican says he will not run for Senate. That does not mean that I plan to sit on the sidelines. We'll take a look and uh, see what the future holds. Maryland's Republican Governor Larry Hogan joins me to discuss his political future and the state of his party ahead. Plus, changing tune. With COVID cases falling, Democrats switch gears and roll back public health restrictions. We are stating affirmatively that we can responsibly live with this thing. Is this being driven by science or politics? Our panel breaks it down ahead. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is bracing for potential war in Europe. The White House warning in stark terms this weekend that Russia is poised to invade Ukraine any day now. A senior administration official saying yesterday that military action that will cause, quote, profound damage to Ukraine and to European security is a, quote, distinct possibility as Russian forces with heavy-duty military equipment close in on Ukraine's borders. President Biden, in an hour-long phone call Saturday, warned Russia's Vladimir Putin of, quote, swift and severe costs if he chooses to invade. But the call did little to convince the White House that Russia will not attack. Those fears have led the U.S. and a growing list of other nations to urge their citizens to leave Ukraine immediately. As the U.S. almost the U.S. also evacuates most diplomatic staff stationed at its embassy in Kiev. Part of the Biden administration's warning is an extraordinary public declaration that they believe Russia may use a false flag operation to try to justify bombings and missile attacks on Ukraine. That is, the Russians would stage a fake attack on themselves to justify an invasion. That could ultimately kill tens of thousands and destabilize key American European allies. And what Biden has said would be the largest invasion since World War II on that continent. It's a reassurance to NATO allies on Friday. President Biden ordered the deployment of 3,000 additional American service members to Poland, which borders Ukraine to the west. Joining us now to discuss National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Jake, thanks for joining us. You said Friday afternoon that all Americans in Ukraine should get out within 24 to 48 hours. That 48 hours is almost up. Do you anticipate this invasion could happen as soon as tomorrow? And what can you tell us about reports that U.S. intelligence believes Russia is considering Wednesday for an attack? Well, Jake, we cannot perfectly predict the day, but we have now been saying for some time that we are in the window and an invasion could begin, a major military action could begin by Russia in Ukraine any day now. That includes this coming week before the end of the Olympics. Of course, it could take place after the end of the Olympics, or it is still possible, we believe, uh, that Russia could choose the diplomatic path. But the way they have built up their forces, the way they have maneuvered things in place, 
makes it a distinct possibility that there will be major military action very soon. And we are prepared to continue to work on diplomacy, but we are also prepared to respond in a united and decisive way with our allies and partners should Russia proceed. You've been warning about a Russian invasion of Ukraine since early November. That's three months ago. It does seem as though something has changed in the last few days. You and, and your colleagues seem more alarmed than ever. What specifically have you learned in the last few days to prompt such urgent warnings? And do you now believe a Russian invasion of Ukraine is more likely than not? Well, when we began, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when we began warning about a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine in November, we were pinpointing sometime after the turn of the year, sometime in the January or February timeframe. So uh, what we watched then happen over the course of November, December, January, was the buildup of Russian forces in both Russia itself and in Belarus, which is the country that borders Ukraine to the north. And what we've seen just in the last 10 days or so is an acceleration of that buildup and the movement of Russian forces of all varieties uh, closer to the border with Ukraine in a position where they could launch a military action very, very rapidly. We, that is also consistent with the information we're picking up from a variety of sources. I'm not going to handicap what will happen. I cannot sit here today and predict. What I can do is make sure we are prepared. And we are prepared. We are prepared to respond immediately and decisively, flanked by our allies and partners if Russia moves forward. We will defend NATO territory, we will impose costs on Russia, and we will ensure that we emerge from this as the West stronger, more determined, more purposeful than we have been in 30 years, and that Russia ultimately suffers a significant strategic cost for military action. You've been warning about the Russians using a false flag operation to justify invading Ukraine. That's a strong claim to make without presenting a shred of evidence. Is there anything more you can tell the public, a public that might be justifiably rather skeptical of claims about intelligence. Well, let me make three points on this. First, we're not putting forward this intelligence to start a war, which has happened in the past, Jake. We are putting forward this intelligence to stop a war. And I think that fundamentally gives it at the outset a different level of credibility. Secondly, this is consistent with the Russian playbook. We have seen them do this before. Many times, you ask any Russia expert, they will point to examples of where Russia has used false flag operations as pretext to start military action. And then third, if you look at the Russian media, they are laying the groundwork for a potential pretext by raising the possibility of attacks by Ukrainian forces on either Russians themselves or Russia's proxy forces in the Donbass. And then finally, what we have said, stood at the podium and shared with our uh, allies that we have information that we have gathered through intelligence that indicates that there is active planning for this. And it's not just the United States saying it. We have our NATO allies stepping out and saying it as well, because they've been able to review that intelligence, assess its credibility, and reach the same conclusion we have reached. So I do think the world should be prepared for Russia staging a pretext and then launching uh, a potential uh, military action. Ukrainian President Zelensky said at a press conference this week that, quote, the best friend for enemies is panic in our country, and all this information helps only to create panic, doesn't help us. Zelensky also questioned public reports about a Wednesday invasion. Is the U.S. sparking panic in Ukraine, or is the reason you're releasing all this information and making all these claims uh, to try to knock Putin off course? Only one country has amassed more than 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. It's not the United States. It's Russia. 
That is the source of the alarm. And what we are trying to do publicly is be transparent to American citizens that they should leave Ukraine immediately because there will not be a military evacuation in the event of an invasion. And we are trying to tell the Ukrainians uh, to prepare and be ready for this as well, as well as coordinate with our NATO allies and partners so that we are able to defend NATO territory and deter any further Russian aggression should they move on Ukraine. But fundamentally, our view is that uh, we're not going to give Russia the opportunity to uh, conduct a surprise here, to spring something on Ukraine or the world. We are going to make sure that we are laying out for the world what we see as transparently and plainly as we possibly can and share that information as widely as we can. That's what we've done. That's what we'll continue to do. You urged all Americans in Ukraine to, to leave the country immediately. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, ordered 160 service members out of Ukraine Saturday. The U.S. Embassy in Kiev is drawing down its staff. Uh, are you worried that American citizens who stay behind could be killed? Uh, and can you guarantee that service members and diplomats in Ukraine will ultimately be able to get out of Ukraine safely if need be? Jake, if there is a military invasion of Ukraine by Russia, it's likely to begin with a significant barrage of missiles uh, and bomb attacks. Uh, those are never as precise as uh, the army would, any army would like them to be, and we don't even know how precise the Russian army would like them to be. So innocent civilians could be killed regardless of their nationality. It would then be followed by an onslaught of a ground force moving across the Ukrainian frontier again. Uh, where innocent civilians could get caught in the crossfire or get trapped in places that they could not move from. So that is why we are uh, being so clear and direct to American citizens that while commercial transport options are still available, they should take advantage of them. As for the embassy, we are ready uh, to complete the drawdown of the U.S. embassy should that become necessary. We have been drawing it down uh, to a bare minimum in Kyiv uh, so that we are prepared in the event that we need to move. I read an interesting piece in The Atlantic by Ann Applebaum. It just posted last night saying that the big problem here is that Western diplomats need to reimagine how you all engage with Russia, uh, that you should just try to should end, not just limit Russian money laundering, stop Russian oligarchs from buying property in London, Miami, make Europe become independent of Russian energy supplies. Her basic argument is that you and your colleagues are abiding in a world of diplomatic niceties. Uh, that Russia has nothing but disdain for. Russia doesn't respect treaties, it doesn't respect borders, and you're treating them as if they are just another actor in the world uh, of diplomacy. Well, first, I would just point out, before we were dealing with this particular contingency, President Biden signed an, an executive order, the first time ever, that lays out a set of authorities to sanction Russia for its harmful activities with respect to election interference, the use of chemical weapons, cyber attacks, and many other destabilizing activities that Russia has been involved in over the years. And then he used those sanctions over the course of the past year. So the notion that we have merely been talking and not acting is not correct. But more broadly, I think Ann Applebaum's piece actually does lay out a number of steps we are taking. Uh, president Biden and the president of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, signed a statement together for a blueprint for moving towards European energy security from Russia. And we are actively working to divert gas cargoes to Europe in the event that Russia turns down the taps. We are also drawing up lists of Russian economic elites who will be sanctioned uh, and will not be able to move freely or spend freely 
uh, going forward, and that will have an impact on people around President Putin. If Russia moves on Ukraine, we are prepared with a package of potential economic consequences that will hit many of those oligarchs and make clear to Russia that there are real costs to pay for this. And most importantly, we will send the message of solidarity and clarity in the values and the vision of the West. And you will see, again, as I said before, a stronger, more determined, more purposeful West than you have seen in a very long time. Before you go, I want to ask about two Americans that are being held uh, in Russia, former U.S. Marines Paul Whelan and uh, Trevor Reed. Uh, plus, we also just learned uh, about uh, an American being held by the Taliban in Afghanistan. What's the latest on how these three Americans are doing? What's the latest on efforts to get them home safely? Well, first, I have personally met with the families of both Paul Whelan and Trevor Reed. Uh, I have communicated to them directly from President Biden that it is a priority of ours to get them home safely. Uh, the Russians uh, have been willing to engage in various channels to discuss a way to make that happen. And we are actively uh, engaged in an effort to do that. And I'm not going to share more here because of the obvious sensitivity of it. But we would like to get Paul and Trevor home as soon as possible. There is an individual who was picked up uh, by the Taliban as being unjustly detained alongside a number of U.K. nationals. Uh, this individual went to Afghanistan after uh, the U.S. drawdown had been completed. We are actively working uh, to get his release as well. And again, I'm not going to get into the sensitivity of it, but I can assure you that it is being handled at the highest levels of our government. Jake Sullivan, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. And uh, obviously, we're all praying uh, for no war uh, in Europe. Thank you so much. Thanks. He could have been one of the Republican Party's best chances to retake the Senate. So why did Maryland Governor Larry Hogan say no? He's going to join me live in studio next. Plus, a flood of Democratic-led states bucking the Biden administration, removing indoor mask mandates. Are they following the science or the polls? Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Republicans need to flip just one seat in the Senate in November to regain control of the U.S. Senate. Party leaders had hoped Maryland could be one of their best shots for success, but after a behind-the-scenes campaign to try to recruit Republican Governor Larry Hogan, a popular GOP leader in a blue state, Hogan this week told Republican leaders, thanks, but no thanks. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan joins us. Now, Governor, we'll get to that in a moment, but first I do want to uh, ask you about COVID because you're calling for an end to mask mandates in Maryland schools. The State Board of Education says it will re review mask requirements later this month. The CDC is still requiring, um, I'm sorry, recommending universal masking in schools. So who should school officials and parents be listening to, you or the CDC? Well, we, uh, you know, we've got the lowest case rate in America in Maryland, and we're you know, really making tremendous progress. Uh, we lifted our statewide mask mandate back last May, uh, but the school systems, which are autonomous, uh, and have their own authority. Uh, I don't really have direct control over them, but we're, we're recommending very strongly that they lift it. And that's what all of our epidemiologists and virologists and public health doctors are suggesting. And yes, I do think the CDC is, you know, far behind. They've had confusing and delayed decision-making, con confusing guidance. And, um, you know, I think there's general consensus. We were at the White House with all the governors a week or so ago, uh, and uh, it's nearly universal bipartisan support for moving forward and putting this thing uh, behind us and not living in fear of the virus, but uh, finding a way to live with it. And it's going to be an endemic for a long time. But the kids have suffered 
so much. And I think the CDC will likely have to take action. But in the meantime, I believe our schools, our State Board of Education is going to act in the next week or so. Uh, to move forward and take masks off the kids. And just to be clear, when you say kids have suffered, you're referring to kids being isolated because they're learning at home, yeah. the, the, the costs of masking where kids can't even see the, their faces of their friends, and, and the low risk for children. Look, I was one of the ones that was you know, pushing all of the mitigation efforts. Uh, we, I think we had one of the best responses in America, but I believe now we're at the point where yeah, the kids just are having difficulty catching up and learning. We had all of the closures, people trying to work remotely, now working with masking. And I think it's safe enough for our kids to just try to get back to normal. You dashed the hopes of Republican leaders in Washington this week when you announced that you're not going to run uh, for Senate this November. The New York Times reports that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell deployed Senators Susan Collins and Mitt Romney to try to convince you. Uh, McConnell even had his wife lobby your wife. Um, if you want to help change the direction of the Republican Party and provide a model for pragmatic, fact-based conservative leadership, isn't the U.S. Senate a better place for that kind of activity than being an ex-governor? Well, look, I, you know, first of all, I was very flattered that uh, they were expressing interest and in, uh, encouraging me to run. And uh, certainly made the argument that I could be a, a voice of reason and sanity in Washington. Uh, but I just have never had a desire to be a U.S. senator. And uh, you know, my heart wasn't in it. And I, I still have another year to be governor of Maryland. I want to focus on finishing that job strong and then... You know, we'll take a look at what happens after that in 2023. But uh, I, I listened. Uh, it was good reasoning and logic, but I just didn't see myself. I'm, I've been a lifelong executive. Uh, I, I have much more power as the governor of Maryland. I make decisions every day that impact people's lives, and I like to get things done. And in Washington, it seems as if there's just a lot of divisiveness and dysfunction, and not a lot gets done. So it, it wasn't the right job, right fit for me. Do you agree with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, another Republican who also rejected a Senate run, uh, that Washington Republicans, in his view, are too focused on being a, quote, roadblock to Biden and not focused enough on actually getting things done. I, I think they're, you know, sometimes focused on uh, the wrong things, not just uh, being a roadblock to, roadblock to Biden. I mean, there are certain things that we want to stand up to President Biden. He, the, the inflation is out of control and we're talking about billions and more spend, uh, trillions and more spending. You know, we want to make sure that uh, we, we do stand up and, uh, and speak out. But uh, I'm, I'm concerned that they're focusing too much on looking at the past and, uh, you know, trying to relitigate the last election and arguing about things instead of having a positive, hopeful vision for America. So shortly after made you, you made that announcement, your nonprofit advocacy group and America United released this video. To those who say that America is too divided, I would argue that we have already shown a better path forward. Let's continue to set an example for the rest of the nation so that America can once again be a shining example for the world. That's a nice video. It, it just lacked the Hogan 2024 uh, banner at the bottom. Are you considering a presidential run? Well, we put out great videos like that almost every week. Uh, that, that was uh, taken from my State of the State address last week, and, and it's pretty well done. But I, like I said, I'm going to run through the tape as governor till January of next year. Uh, I, I'm going to try to be the very best governor I can be. I'm going to continue to stand up and be a voice. I'm not going to sit back and not be involved in the issues of the day. I'm concerned about the direction of the party and the country. And I'll make a decision about 2024 after I finish this job. So you are considering it? Well, so we're certainly going to take a look at it after January of 23. What makes you think that there's uh, a lane for a moderate-ish, uh, blue state, anti-Trump, sane Republican like you when you look at your party right now? Well, you know, I consider myself a common sense conservative. I have been a lifelong 
uh, Republican. Uh, I, I believe that that's where most people in America are. About 70 percent of the people in America are completely frustrated with politics on both sides, Republicans and Democrats. And latest CNN poll came out and said, you know, right now only 50 percent of the Republicans would like to see Donald Trump run again. I believe that there is a pretty large lane of sane Republicans uh, and they're looking for a voice. Let's take a look at something you told me on the show ex- uh, almost exactly a year ago. I think the, the final chapter of Donald Trump and where the Republican Party goes hasn't been written yet. And I think we're going to have a real battle for the soul of the Republican Party over the next couple of years. So as, as you know, there's a new CNN poll out this morning showing that about a half Republican voters want Trump to be the nominee in 2024. But that means a half don't. Um, but also... CNN polling shows three-quarters of Republican voters don't think election results reflect the will of the people. Republican candidates up and down the the ballot are actively uh, lying about the election in 2020. And the Republican Party just declared, uh, the RNC, in in a censure declaration against Kinzinger and Cheney, who I imagine are two House Republicans you respect and admire, they just declared January 6th, quote, legitimate political discourse. So the battle for the soul of the Republican Party, are you losing it? Well, I think we've still got a long way to go. Uh, Like I said, we have until 2024. Uh, Right now, I think we've made tremendous progress because we went from about 80 some percent that wanted to reelect Donald Trump to 50. That's a huge drop. But yes, I've been speaking out loudly and strongly about this battle for the soul of the party. Uh, You know, to to say it's legitimate political discourse to attack the seat of our capital and smash windows and attack police officers and threaten to hang the vice president and threaten to overthrow the election. It's insanity. And, you know, it's a there's a circular firing squad where we attack Republicans. You know, the Republican Party that I want to get back to is the one that believes in freedom and truth and not one that attacks people who don't uh, swear 100 percent fealty to the dear leader. The National Archives wants the Justice Department to look into former President Trump's handling of White House records after it was revealed he frequently tore up documents and took uh, at least 15 boxes of official documents, including potentially classified material with him to Mar-a-Lago. Republicans spent years attacking Hillary Clinton for her handling of government records, but I don't hear anything coming from Capitol Hill. Again, always Kinzinger and, and Cheney accepted. Um, but I don't think hear anything from Republican leaders. What, what do you say to voters out there, maybe like ticket splitters who say, hey, you know, I agreed with Republicans when they expressed concern about Hillary Clinton and how she handled uh, classified material, but there's no one saying anything about how Donald Trump did it. So did they actually even care about this issue? Well, I'm not sure that no one's talking about it. It's certainly been in the news a lot lately. Uh, the, Republican fa- the, fa- the fact that Republican leaders are not uh, standing up, uh, just like they're not standing up to talk about the lies on the election or what happened on January 6th, it is very concerning, which is why I continue to speak out. And I, I can just tell you, I feel as if there are more and more people. You saw more people speak out uh, after the RNC took the action. It was a step too far. Even people that big supporters of the president said we can't censure people because they don't agree with us 100 percent because they stand up for what they believe in. And there were, I think, 140 elected Republicans who came out against that. So we're making progress, uh, but it's, uh, it's it's slow. But, you know, a year, two years is an eternity in politics. And I'm still hopeful we can change things. Yeah. And I just want to remind people, Governor Hogan's dad, Congressman Larry Hogan Sr., is somebody who you might want to go on Google and read up about because he showed Tremendous courage uh, standing up against the insanities of the Nixon administration. And every time you're here, I think about him. Well, I'm thank sure you, you do, too. I, I sure do. And thank you for mentioning him. 
Yeah, good to see you, Governor. Thank you so much. President Biden sends 3,000 more American service members to reassure Eastern Europe as fears grow of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. But how could a war in Ukraine affect the United States? That's next. They also deserve a significant amount of criticism for doing too little and too late. The senior policymakers didn't seem to come around to this threat until really quite late. This is probably not going to be enough to to, uh, factor in or really deter Russian action. Welcome back to State of the Union. A stark warning and chastising a bit from former national security official Alexander Vindman, who says what President Biden is doing to try to prevent Russia invading Ukraine is, quote, too little, too late. Uh, Let's talk about this uh, uh, with my uh, panel. And Alyssa Farah Griffin, let me start with you, because you used to uh, work at the Pentagon during the Trump years. Um, Has Biden been doing too little too late? Well, yeah, absolutely. So think of where this started. Um, Just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a minor incursion, which, by the way, there's no such thing as a minor incursion. Um, And then we were hearing projections that Putin was likely going to try to take the Donbass region, so the southeast portion of Ukraine. But now we're hearing assessments from Capitol Hill that they're talking about Kyiv potentially being invaded, potentially falling within 48 hours. So this has escalated dramatically quickly. And the idea that we're just going to send some troops into Poland and that that is enough, I think, is is a, a very flawed perspective. And I would note we still don't have a named Ukrainian ambassador. Yeah. What do you think, Hillary? Uh, do you think um, Biden is surviving uh, and, and thriving the commander in chief test here? Yeah, I think. two. Well, I think two things he's doing right. One, we know about this because the administration is being really transparent around the intelligence they're getting. And that's something we haven't had before. And that, I think, speaks well to their desire to keep international pressure, to keep public pressure on Putin and not be, you know, the, the um, kiss his butt the way that President Trump did. I think the other thing that we're doing is, is staying in line with our allies as much as possible in Europe and in the UK. And that's all you can do. You know, we have no control over what Vladimir Putin does. We can only control our reaction to it, our, our allies' reaction to it. We, so I think... A diplomatic solution is obviously great. Nobody wants to be uh, have these troops go to war. Um, and I think that they're doing what they what they to, can do at this point, to, to making consequences. To Hillary's point, disclosing the information that we're receiving as we're receiving it and actually talking about the threat, being as transparent about the threat, I think has been very valuable because now the world has been able to see what Putin is considering to do. The reason we know about the threats is because this information, unlike in many administrations in the past, has been disclosed. And you also have a unified front with allies. But the, the, the fact is, and this is something that's very important, we saw this in the Obama administration. We did not see this in the Trump administration. But Vladimir Putin is scared to death about being isolated again. He's scared of the economic sanctions that Barack Obama put on him. He's scared of the fact that we can literally crush and cripple his economy and he'll be isolated and alone. And that, that looks as if what's about to happen. But 2014, uh, he annexed Crimea during the Obama administration. I would say this. And what, Joe, what happened after that? Well, that's true. Crippling and well, crippling sanctions he, he, are they valuable. in our election. I mean, the reality is whenever Joe Biden's in the White House, Russia runs wild. The politics of this are so that, that, But that's not accurate, though, it, because after Crimea— I'm, I'm sorry. What's not accurate? He annexed Crimea. He meddled in our election. And Biden was in charge. And so was Obama. Now Biden's in charge. Now he's back on the border. The politics of this are so fraught. Yeah. Because— the, the, the air of competency was let out of the balloon over Afghanistan. Look at the Pentagon report about our evacuation from Afghanistan. The air of competency is gone. 
So I don't think the American people, A, have an appetite for more engagement overseas, and B, they don't trust this administration think, could do it. I think oh that the richness... God. They I think meddled that the, in our election. You're letting <laughs> that lead go right by you, no, uh, McCarty. Uh, I know, that's I'm not... That's acknowledged, <laughs> but, but, but every time but, I'm here, yeah. it's but, a true but, story. But, 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 let's, but let's be honest about the richness of this conversation, because now we're talking about someone taking a stand to Vladimir Putin when the last four years, Hillary, no, would, that was the antithesis right. of what happened. But, After Crimea... After Crimea, Russia was literally simply a gas station with a nuclear weapon. The, the, the sanctions yeah. that were placed on Vladimir Putin crippled that country economically. But That's Joe, what Barack Obama Joe did. Joe Biden ran on restoring our alliances. NATO's going to lead again. And now he's taking a complete backseat in all of this. I mean, the Brits are stepping up with this kind of like trilateral agreement with the, with the Polish. Where is American leadership in NATO right now? I, I do want to move on to uh, another issue because we learned some new information from the New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman's new book this week that, quote, White House resident staff periodically found papers had clogged the toilet, leaving staff believing Trump had flushed material he'd ripped into pieces. Uh, this comes as the National Archives says the former president also took 15 boxes, including classified information, to Mar-a-Lago after leaving the White House. And Alyssa, I do want to ask you, because you worked in the Trump West Wing, uh, what do you know about Trump ripping up documents or even, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you didn't go into the bathroom with him, but, but uh, flushing stuff <laughs> down? So I did witness him ripping papers. I think it was kind of just he does that. Um, and I know staff secretary then had to piece back together papers to archive them. The bigger issue here among the many grievances I have with Trump, I don't know that the not archiving is a huge issue, but the classified information mishandling is huge. Um, I was I criticized Hillary Clinton for doing the same thing when she mishandled classified information in the State Department. So the idea that he himself also may have done exactly what we hit her for for five years is just remarkable. And it just it's that level of hypocrisy that drives me crazy. I, I, I think it's worth pointing out, actually, that Hillary Clinton did didn't not mishandle actually mishandle classified, classified information. information. That's what all of the investigations <laughs> showed. She had a personal email account where she talked about her daughter's wedding. So there was know, classified was information classified. on on, but, on the on the but, email. but there was no but there was not a mishandling it was not a destruction of property classified information et cetera. on a private there was no trend there was no result of an investigation that showed that was a problem but where we have now is literally the government had to raid Mar-a-Lago to get the truth out of Donald Trump and you know no surprise no surprise but but Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, in fairness to the president, former president, there was a national toilet paper shortage in 2020. I mean, you could not find <laughs> bathroom. All material. right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you want me to go after that? No, let's, let's, let's bring it out of the, out of the, out of the toilet. Yeah. There you go. Um, Senate Republicans have lost multiple key races, uh, re- recruits rather, for Senate races from Sununu, New Hampshire, to Governor Hogan. You just heard him talking about why he's not running. Here's what the New York Times reporter John Martin writes this morning. As Mr. Trump works to retain his hold on the Republican Party, elevating a slate of friendly candidates in midterm elections, McConnell and his allies are quietly, desperately maneuvering to try to thwart him. The message that Mr. McConnell delivers is unsparing if debatable. Mr. Trump is losing political altitude and need not be feared in a primary. Uh, You are close with McConnell in his office. Uh, He's losing some of these recruiting efforts. Yeah, I think some of them are more disappointing than others. I'm dubious that the Maryland Senate race, even if Governor Hogan, who's quite popular as governor, would have developed as a as a, a, a top tier race the way some of the other ones have. Sununu was was pretty disappointing. Overall, I think the board looks pretty good for Republicans, and I think it's actually bigger map today than we uh, ever thought it could be a year ago. And the political environment is so good that in some cases the recruits may matter less than just the overall mood of the country. So right now, I think Republicans, despite some of these setbacks, feel 
pretty good. I mean, I think it's a mortal lock they're going to take the House. I think the Senate, I would still call it 50-50, but I'd be on the leaning, you know, uh, good side of 50-50 right now about where the party stands and its opportunity to take back the Congress. Yeah, well, you just heard him uh, say that even if some of these yeah. recruiting candidates don't, like, even if the sane Republicans don't get the nominations in individual states, they might win. That's basically one of the things you just said. McConnell privately, according to this J-Mart yeah. story, is calling Nervous. some of these people yeah. goofballs. He doesn't want them to get not the nominations. But we just heard the Trump effect and the bad uh, headwinds for Biden uh, might bring some goofballs to Senate. Look, our prospects are pretty depressing um, <laughs> in, in, in the midterms right now. And I think Democrats have a serious like, connect on the message issue. We're not meeting people where they are. We're not dealing with parental exhaustion. We're not, and there's a lot of things. But the one silver lining in this might be the Republican-on-Republican Republican war that, that could happen in a bunch of these primaries over the next several months that, you know, um, that, that we'll end up seeing so that, you know, and, hope and, that they can blow themselves up a little bit. And, and to your point, you're seeing that in places like Ohio, which should be a solidly red state, is leaning to be ruby Oof. red. Yeah. Ruby red, but you just have this this primary of it's like fear factor yeah. it, it, of you insanity, and you have JD Vance, who used to be like right. have common sense, who's now running at five percent in the polls, and so it, you're going to have races. I think that that Doug Ducey in Arizona, if he decides not to run, is going to be a blow to uh, Republicans. But you're gonna I, it, this is all going to come down to Pennsylvania. This is going to come to Wisconsin, and we will all be focused on Georgia. Yep. Herschel Walker is going to be a very, very bad candidate for Republicans, and we'll see what happens. But it's going to be a very, very favorable climate for Republicans. Oh, Thanks it's... one and all for being here. Has the U.S. learned any lessons from the disastrous exit from Afghanistan? The men and women who serve there are talking. Is President Biden listening? That's next. A U.S. Army review of the chaotic U.S. exit from Afghanistan last summer was obtained by the Washington Post this past week. In the review, the commander on the ground during the operation reported that the military would have been, quote, much better prepared to conduct a more orderly evacuation, quote, if policymakers had paid attention to the indicators of what was happening on the ground, unquote. A few days ago, NBC News asked President Biden about the accounts in these documents. It interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who were in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to you? No. No. That's not what I was told. That's not what I was told, the president said. Not what he was told. The documents go into detail about how, in the views of the service members on the ground, the U.S. ambassador and others in the Biden administration did not see the security threat for what it really was and did not adequately prepare for withdrawal, that there was a lack of urgency in the White House's National Security Council. The day Kabul fell to the Taliban, U.S. troops are described as going room to room at the embassy, pushing State Department personnel to prepare, but some were, quote, intoxicated and cowering in rooms, and others were, quote, operating like it was day-to-day operations with absolutely no sense of urgency or recognition of the situation, unquote. Now, President Biden's denial of this reflects the same attitude seen in a Biden administration official, quote, about that allegation to the Washington Post, quote, were there any truth to it, we presumably would not be learning of it six months after the fact, unquote. Yeah, that's not how it works. Bad information not flowing upward 
That's a long-standing tradition. Almost 10 years ago, as then-President Obama prepared to try to leave Afghanistan, I asked him this question suggested by a soldier friend. Do you feel that the reporting you receive from the Pentagon's fully represents what the on-ground commanders assess. Is there any disconnect between what leaders feel the public and president want to hear versus what is actually occurring on the ground? One of the things that I emphasize whenever I'm talking to John Allen or the Joint Chiefs or any uh, of uh, the officers uh, who are in Afghanistan is uh, I can't afford uh, a whitewash. I can't afford not getting the very best information in order to make good decisions. I think the reports we get uh, are relatively accurate in the sense that there is real improvement. We know now the degree to which so many of these reports were whitewashes, so optimistic as to have been false. The thing is, President Biden knew this then. Biden has been a skeptic of the war in Afghanistan for years precisely because he did not buy into the rosy scenarios from Foggy Bottom and from the Pentagon. Are you rejecting the conclusions or the the accounts that are in this Army report? Yes, I am. So they're not, not true? I'm rejecting them. It's difficult to overstate how insulting Biden's sweeping rejection is to so many service members and veterans, given the full content of the 2,000 pages of documents in this U.S. Army investigation, which CNN has also obtained. Many accounts are from troops who were on the ground, at the gates, near the canal, around the airport. Non-commissioned officers, junior officers, Joes, people with little political motivation to lie, and heavy legal and moral obligation to tell the truth in sworn statements. People like the men and women that Biden visited with last November at Fort Bragg. It's amazing to me is how proud I am to be your commander in chief. You are the most incredible group of women and men warriors that we've ever seen. People in that North Carolina crowd served with Staff Sergeant Ryan Canas, a special operations soldier stationed at Fort Bragg before deploying to Kabul. Testimonies about what happened are, are a big chunk of the report. And one details Canas's final moments. He was one of 13 American service members killed during the Abbey Gate suicide bombing in August. Though the name and rank are are redacted from the record, it's clear the service member giving the testimony knew Staff Sergeant Kanas. He describes the chaos at the scene, the, the crowds of Afghans pushing and shoving their way into Abbey Gate. He tells of being knocked to the ground by the explosion of the suicide bomber, getting up and dragging his unconscious but still breathing teammate, Staff Sergeant Kanas, away from further danger, trying to keep him from choking on his swollen tongue. He loads Kanas into the bed of a truck. He clears his weapon and tucks it beside his teammate, and the truck drives away. You do so much, and your families give so much. I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. And so I just, we came because we wanted to thank you, tell you how much we care. I don't doubt President Biden cares, but I do not understand why he would not manifest that care into taking this investigation more seriously, absorbing the tragic details, contemplating the obvious failures of his administration, failures that cost lives. Now, Biden always bristles at this because he feels confident that ending the war in Afghanistan was the right decision. But that's not the question at hand. It's not whether 
but how the war ended and what that means to the people who were there when it did finally end. No part of these military interviews ring true because that's not what I was told. If this was not what you were told, then what was? And don't you have an obligation, sir, to be told? Don't you have an obligation to Ryan Canas's family, to his grieving mother? They were sitting ducks. How do I feel? I feel grief and I feel anger. I am angry for the waste of life. Isn't that how you demonstrate how much you care? Otherwise, isn't it just words? We'll be right back. What might President Abraham Lincoln have to say about today's Republican Party? Well, a new look at Lincoln's life has a surprising lesson for his party now. That's up in the next hour. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria is next. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.